This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Pastors are notorious for possessing the need to be liked. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Uh, pastors work hard on preparing and delivering sermons. They work on hard to, to communicate and to, um, to be in community with uh, the people which they serve. And so it would stand to reason that they relish some of the positive affirmations that come after a sermon or after a, a good job, well done, that sort of thing. Because um, what those words are saying basically is, I like you. You have worth in my eyes. And that's good. But what happens when you don't receive those positive affirmations? Well, the opposite would probably be true, possibly. Now, even though that might not be the truth, there is that feeling. And I'm just being honest with you because this is something that most pastors share. Also, if we're being honest, the, if I'm being honest with you, the places that I've worked, not only in churches, but again in schools and all these other places, I really feel like I can get along with pretty much anybody. And I don't mean to kind of brag about that or anything like that, because that's just, I like people. I really like to be liked by people as well. And so when there's that one or two people, that, um, two, I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't also share this same kind of camaraderie. Like, hey, I like you. I'm indifferent to you. Oh, well, then that's interesting. And I harp on that and not all the other um, good positive affirmations or the ways that I connect with other people, but I connect with that one person that just for whatever reason doesn't like me. And I'm like, what is going on here? There's something wrong. I don't know if it's something wrong with me, something wrong with that person. I probably choose to think it's probably something wrong with that person, but that's just me. Um, but if we take it a step further, for me, I feel like it reaches a new depth. <clears throat> unlike anything else, whenever it comes to my family. And Laura and I, like I just mentioned a little bit earlier, we're coming up on our 16th wedding anniversary, and I'm excited about that. And we've known each other for 21 years, and so there's some history there. But I know, and she knows, that we love each other. Like, there is, we've been through a lot together, and we still say it all the time to each other. And we know that we mean it. And sometimes even when we don't say it, we still know that that love is there. However, when it comes to our kids, we sacrifice a lot. We give so much and we want to see them happy. We want to see them fulfilled in their life. We want to see them just enjoy life. And we do all of that. And maybe every once in a while we might get a thank you. And if we're really lucky, we'll get a unprovoked, or that's not really a good word to say, um, un, um, 
I don't know, prompted, unprompted, I love you. And that is amazing. And that makes it seem like everything that we do is worth it just by that. Or the hug around the neck that, man, I can feel that love. And I remember when I was feeding you and changing you at, at the wee hours of the morning, I was thinking maybe one day they will say that they love me. I'm doing all this for them. But with that said, <clears throat> there is something that happens as a parent that we give and we give, and maybe there's some reciprocation of that love that, that we give so freely, but maybe not. And so the way I see it is that there is sometimes in relationships a bit of unbalance. It's unequal. Or at times even, and I learned this from watching Dawson's Creek when I was in high school, but unrequited love. I'd never heard about that before. I had to look it up. If you are not familiar with Dawson's Creek, it, it was something that happened in the late 1990s. <clears throat> and they used a lot of big words. So I was like, I guess I need to figure that out. But anyway, uh, unequal thing. And when things are unequal, it tends to lean one way and we tend to kind of get off track a little bit. So as we continue the sermon series, Summer at the Movies, we find that we are encountering Ralph breaks the internet. Now this is a second in the installment of uh, Wreck-It Ralph. So this is Wreck-It Ralph number two, I guess. Uh, Ralph breaks the internet. <clears throat> now in this, Ralph finds himself in a similar situation. Ralph is willing to do whatever it takes to save his friend Vanellope, that is with a V. Why? I don't know, just to make it interesting. Vanellope with a V um, her game, her arcade game breaks. The steering wheel breaks off and a new one needs to be found, but they can't find it anywhere because it's an older game and they have to go into the internet to find it. Now I say they have to go into the internet. That is what they're doing because they are cartoon characters. They are uh, arcade game characters and they physically have to go into the internet, the Wi-Fi, and figure out how to do that. And they have to go to eBay to find it. Now they do find it. They do find this, this steering wheel that they can replace, but they have to pay money for it and they don't have any money. So they have to figure out a way to find that money so that they can um, get and purchase that steering wheel so that everything will be back to normal. So it's within that <clears throat> that Ralph sees Vanellope as not only his best friend, but he wants to do anything that he possibly can to make her happy, and he will do it by any means necessary. So he not only sings, sees her as his best friend, but he wants to hang out with her every single night because that is something that they do. That's their routine. They play hard during the day, and then afterwards they hang out. And he also sees her kind of like a, a little sister, and he wants to protect her and keep her safe. Again, no matter the consequences to him or anybody else around him. Now, another way of saying that, it's an unhealthy relationship, I guess you might imagine, but another word for that is codependency. 
And so codependency generally refers to someone involved in a dysfunctional, one-sided relationship where one person relies on the other for meeting a majority of their emotional and self-esteem needs. That sounds a little drastic, but it is a reality in the reality that we live in. So often, it is a learned behavior from childhood where a person accepts emotional neglect as a normal part of a relationship. Like that's just the way that things are. As a result from this potentially toxic relationship, it can bring about negative feelings such as insecurity, anxiety, depression, poor self-esteem, helplessness, and feeling empty. Now, in their journey, like I said, with Ralph and Vanellope, in their journey, Ralph finds himself so wrapped up in his friendship with Vanellope that she becomes his entire world. While Ralph is content with having the same ordinary routine over and over, Vanellope is not okay with that. And she was excited about the new adventure and the making new friends and one of the characters that she makes friends with is Shank, I don't know, and the game that she finds this person in is Slaughter Race. Again, not great, but again, it's, it's something that's new, it's different, it's exciting for her, and she really enjoys that. And so Ralph couldn't imagine his friend Vanellope living any other way than with him in the routine that they have come to know and love. So his happiness is so dependent on her happiness that he was willing to do whatever it took to make her happy as long as it didn't mean making new friends, new places, and new dreams without him. He didn't want things to change. Everything was fine just the way they were. Why can't we just keep it like that? Well, in life, codependency and codependent relationships can occur in friendships like Ralph and Vanellope. It can occur in parent-child relationships. It can occur in the workplace sometimes, or even in romantic relationships. And so we find examples of that in the Bible as well. It's not just in the life that we live or in movies that we watch, but it's in the Bible as well. So today we look at a particular relationship found in Judges chapter 15 and 16 to help us find wisdom and to gain a direction for the relationships in which we find in our own lives. So we go to the book of Judges and in this our story begins with Samson who we probably are familiar with, but Samson delivers the Israelites from the attacks of the Philistines and rules as one of the most famous, if not the most famous, judges of Israel. And what follows is a story with which we are so familiar. What might God want to us to learn from all of this, specifically in relation to relationships? So it begins in this way. This is in, at the end of Judges 15, chapter 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Once Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute and went in with her. 
the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. So he, so they circled around and they lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They kept quiet until night, thinking, let us wait until the night of the morning, or the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay only until midnight. And then at midnight he rose up, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, so obviously he's a very strong person. He is one that we've heard about before. And then Delilah comes into the picture. And so here, he everything was great. He was doing what God had called him to do. He was being the judge, the savior of the Israelites. And then he encounters Delilah and things kind of get a little off track. He falls in love with Delilah. And then we see this in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 4. After he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Coax him and find out what makes his strength so great and how we may overpower him so that we may bind him in order to subdue him and we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes your strength so great and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you, which is not suspicious at all. And then Samson says to her, Well, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. Then the lords of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not dried out, and she bound him with them. While the, man, while the men laying in wait in an inner chamber, she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of fiber snaps when it touches the fire. The fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Let's see. Yeah. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you could be bound. Well, this happens again and again, and he says, Okay, we'll try this. Knowing full well that it's not going to happen, that he's not going to be subdued, that his strength is still going to remain with him. So she tries that, and she tries that, and she tries that, and she's getting pretty frustrated because he's telling her lies. But he's also trying to save himself. He doesn't want to be overcome. He doesn't want to lose his strength. So there's kind of a little bit of self-preservation for that. But then we come to Judges 16, 16. Now, before I read this, just an observation, I think this part at least was written by a man. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. And I'm going to read it the way that I hear it. Finally, after he had nagged him, after she had nagged him with her words day after day and pestered him, he was tired to death. 
Okay, so again, just the observation, not saying that this is reality, not saying that I experience this in real life because um, my wife and my life are perfect, right? So um, anyway, just making that observation. But so he finally breaks down. And then we see this in the next part. So he told her his whole secret. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and become like anyone else. When Delilah realized that he had told her his whole secret, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come oh the time has come, for he has told his whole secret to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came upon, uh, up to her and brought her the money in her hands. She let, them fall, she let him fall asleep on her lap, and she called to a man, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. So before I go any further, there's a couple of problems here. First of all, he can fall asleep pretty quickly. And he's not even disturbed whenever he's getting his head shaven off. I mean, that's, that's a little questionable. But he must have been very, very tired. And so we continue. Then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And when he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out as at the other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now that's an important part. He did not know that the Lord had left him. We'll come back to that. So the Philistines seized him and gouged his eyes, gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Not the way he was anticipating, I guess, I don't know. Like, what was he thinking? That's one of the, the, the things that I, the questions I have is if she's doing the same thing over and over, wanting, I don't know why, just hypothetically, why or what way could I subdue you? What way would make your strength leave you so that you could be like everyone else? That's a red flag. Why did he not see that this was coming? He should have seen it. And then we see this at the end. This is in um, Judges 16, 28, and through the end of 16. Then Samson called to the Lord. And that's an important part. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God so that with this one act of revenge, I, might, I may pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the, middle, the two middle pillars in which the house um, rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He strained with all his might, and the house fell on the lords and all the people 
who were in it. So he killed at his death. Oh, so those he killed at his death were more than those that he had killed during his life. So he sacrificed himself. And so what we see here is this kind of, again, whenever I mentioned this before, a cycle, a cycle. And we see this kind of overarching theme that happens in Samson's life. He's doing what God asks him to do. The Israelites are good. Everything is good. But whenever he takes his eyes and his focus from God and what he's supposed to do, he loses his way. And God leaves him. His strength leaves him, but also his God leaves him. And it's only whenever he calls upon God again, recognizing that his true strength didn't come from his hair, but it came from God, then and only then does he regain that strength for the purpose of his revenge, but also for it to be known that his strength did not really come from his hair after all, but it came from the Lord God Almighty. That is an important part that maybe we can see that in our own lives. Now, as far as Ralph and Samson kind of demonstrate, one must recognize their codependency if they is a desire to break from that stronghold on relationships before leaving a trail of destruction in its wake and maybe even causing their own destruction. But acceptance is only the beginning of the healing journey. We must repent from relying on people, possessions, or success to make us feel whole and first choose to trust in the God of hope to fill us with joy and peace so that we may abound in hope through our relationships with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So don't create for yourself idols, which is what happens. You see, the thing is, we know the Shema, we've heard the Shema, and what that is is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. So the way I see it is there is love that we have innate in us that's given to us by the source of all that is love, God. And so we have that within us. And there's three different directions that this love can and should go. God first, with everything that we have, and then others, and then ourself. So there's three directions that can go, but God first. And so what happens is whenever we lose our direction, whenever we put other things, other people, other relationships in place of God, that is called idolatry. That's putting other things, other people, other events in the rightful place of God. And that is when we lose our footing. That is when we fall. That is when we lose our direction. And that is whenever we try to find a relationship or a meaning in things that are not God. I love my wife. I love my family. I love all of you. I love a lot of people. There's a lot of love going a lot of different ways. But if I don't have God first, then all of those other relationships are leading me astray. 
And so whenever I have my, my first love is God, that relationship, if it's in a right relationship with God, then it will dictate and it will influence the way that I relate to other people and the other people relate to me. So instead of everything going this way to others or maybe this way even to me, it first has to go to God. And that relationship informs how all my other relationships are found. And if they are not in a good standing relationship like that of God and me, then things are a little off. Take, for instance, the relationship with me and my kids. I love them so much. And if I'm being honest, it's not really equal. Now, I look at the relationship that God has with me and God, I know that it's not an equal relationship with God either. Because if I'm honest with myself, I know that God loves me more than I love God. I know that. Because I try my best, but I know that I sometimes put other people, other things in place of God. And so I'm led astray. And sometimes I even forget that God is supposed to be first. And so that is led astray. I am led astray. And then it's an unrequited, it's an unreciprocal, it is not a balanced relationship. But God is God. God can handle that. Whenever we try to do the same thing as God, and it's a similar relationship whenever we have with our, with our kids, it's unbalanced. And it won't end well for us. It is leading us astray. This unbalance is because God is God and we are not. But whenever we try to do the same thing with others, no matter who that is in whatever situation, it's not a healthy one. So let's not try to do what God does with us. But let's try to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, all of these relationships will be added unto you. And so all that is to say that when we create for ourselves these idols taking the rightful place of God, it's a recipe for disaster. And in other words, we need to keep God front and center of our lives and in God's rightful place. And it's only when Samson realizes that God is actually the true source of his strength does he find it again and resumes his purpose in life. And so what are these things that, that we can do to help us in our relationships as we build relationships with others? Because we will. How can that help us? How can these two stories, that of Ralph and that of Samson, inform us and help us in understanding our relationship with God and our relationship with others? I'll give you some helpful hints. So first of all, we must come to realize that past events can cause us to disconnect from our emotions. So that's the first thing is recognizing what's actually going on. Taking stock, being completely honest with ourselves. And then taking a step back, maybe from some unhealthy and some maybe toxic relationships that we can. I mean, we can't really say, all right, I'm not going to be your parent for a while. I'm going to work on myself. We can't really do that. But we can at least take stock in what is going on right now. And 
we can see that there is a way that we can fix these things. There is a way that we can um, move away from some of those unhealthy things and maybe towards more healthy things. The other part of that is once we have done that, set some boundaries. You've heard that before. This is nothing new. But why are we not doing it? So we know all this. I, I'm not giving you any new information. I'm just reminding you that sometimes we get led astray and we forget those boundaries. And we have to have those healthy boundaries with people that we love and care for and in situations so it can help us focus on our own well-being. And then lastly, not most importantly, but, but lastly, seek pastoral or professional counseling services to support you during this healing process. Now, I'm not sure if I've said this before, but whenever I was in seminary and I was in my internship year, we, as part of the curriculum, we had to see a licensed professional counselor. And it made a lot of sense to me later, but at that time I was like, why do I need to see a counselor? But then it was brought to my attention, like, you're dealing with a lot of other people's issues and concerns, and you're taking that on. But you can't really serve them well if you are not well yourself. So whenever it was put in that respect, I was like, okay, all right, I'll see what this is all about. So I did that. So I saw somebody by myself individually. Laura saw somebody by herself individually, and we saw somebody um, together as a couple. And we've been doing that for quite some time since, what, 2009. And so I think about that, and I think about how that has helped me, give me some tools available and here's the part about it that, that I didn't realize until much later. But whenever you are in a relationship, healthy or unhealthy, sometimes you are so close to that that you can't see things that maybe people on the outside can. So parents, you might have said this to your, um, your kids like, hey, I don't know that you should be hanging around with that person or I don't know that that's a good person for you to be in a relationship with. Now, we don't hear that because our parents are too close to us. We can even hear maybe sometimes from our friends, but also they're too close to us. They might be too close to the situation. So when you're on the outside looking in, we might be able to see something a little bit broader, a little bit bigger picture. Now, Ralph should have known this from the very beginning. Samson should have known this from the very beginning. And we could see that from the very outside because we're not in the middle of it. And that's the perspective that a counselor can give. Now, of course, I'm a little bit biased because I've been um, through counseling for quite some time and my wife is a counselor, so I see the value in it. But I also see that it's for our own good. And this is how God created us, so that we might love and that we might love well. We might love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength and everything that we have first, and then others as ourselves. The relationship with God helps put everything else in perspective. And if we put these other kind of boundaries and um, checks in place, it'll help us live into that life which God has created us, that bountiful, that abundant, and that life-giving life that he gives us every single day. God wants the best for us. God loves us so much. And the thing I want you to hear, if you hear nothing else, is that 
you probably love people fiercely. And you have some others that love you fiercely. But God loves you more. Help us, Lord, now to see that your relationship with us can guide all of our other relationships, not the other way around. Help us, Lord, go forward in love and compassion the way that you have shown us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.